My name is John Chambers. I'm the pastor here. Everybody calls me Fud. You're welcome to call me that. Um, my parents call me John, but most everybody else calls me Fud. Long story, I guess, but um, I'm not sick. I, uh, I lost my voice Thursday at the Gamecock game. Did my contribution to the victory um, by giving my voice and wore my Gamecock colors today. Um, so a little disappointed in last night's game, but that's whatever. All right, so um, anyway, <laughs> we are uh, going through a doctrine series this fall. So what we've been doing over this course of the fall is kind of looking at each doctrine, not, not all of them, but a, a doctrine per week and studying it just as exhaustively as we possibly could. Um, I told um, last week before we, we studied the Trinity. It wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago. We studied the Trinity. And if you were here, then you got the privilege of like exhaustively understanding the Trinity. At every, the, we completely understood it after that, after that one week. So that was good. Um, that's actually a joke. We didn't. We, we, we just identified that it's a mystery and now we, we don't understand it all. But my point is, uh, what we've been doing is going through different doctrines each particular week. And so today, you could probably guess, based on the song we sang, that we're going to be talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The, the special word, you know, the $10 seminary word says right here, pneumatology, and that's just, uh, actually, you pronounce the P and the N, um, pneumatology, that just means spirit, pneuma means spirit, and then ology, I was the study of, so study of the spirit, pretty simple, um, that's the only time we use that word the whole time, uh, but I wanted to stick it up there so, for all, you know, the guys like me that like to write down neat little words, um, but today, what we're doing is studying it, and so we started with the doctrine of the word, Jack, our other elder, preached that, and then the, the next week, we did the Trinity, last week, we did Jesus, um, of which I completely overprepared and preached forever, um, and then this week, we're doing the doctrine of the spirit, of which I have, I think, figured out how to talk about doctrinal things in, in, a, in a good, normal, 45-minute kind of way. So that's the goal today, is that we would do it in a 45-minute fashion. Um, and this is a little bit unique to us, to go through doctrines. What we usually do is just pick a book of the Bible and go through it. We've gone through Galatians, 1 John, Jonah, um, I can't remember all of them, 1 Timothy, and we've been going through the book of Matthew. We'll be starting chapter 26 right as we get to Easter, and we'll you know, chapter 28 will kind of crest to the day of Easter. Um, and we, we're like 75 sermons, I think, into the book of Matthew. So we, we generally like to go through books of the Bible um, because of the first week, what we believe about the, the Bible. We believe the best way that all of us can grow in our spiritual walk is that we just take a book of the Bible and grow because the Bible in, of its, in and of itself is the most sufficient thing to lead us into godliness and righteousness, etc. So um, this fall is a little bit unique. We're doing um, a... Uh, a doctrine series, but we try to as much as we can, and some of these doctrines don't necessarily do it. There's no like verse of scripture, 15 verses on the Trinity, but when they do uh, each doctrine have a set of verses, that's what we want to do, and today's kind of that case. So if you want to, you can go ahead and flip to John chapter 14 through 16. I'm actually not going to preach every verse of 14 through 16, um, or else we'll be here till, till like tomorrow night. So we're just going to kind of look around in some things in John chapter 14 through 16. And then uh, before, we, before we jump in, though, I want to, I want to pray. Uh, as I've been reading this, pa- this past week, I, this past week I've been reading um, a book called Firefall, which is just about uh, awakenings and revivals, basically over the last 2,000 years. Um, but what I was kind of astounded or drawn towards are the revivals in America over the last few hundred years. There's been particular times where great, I mean, crazy 
amounts of people were saved. Thousands upon thousands were saved. There was one called the Layman's Prayer Revival that happened in 1856 through 1858. And there was one man by himself. He decided that he would just take it upon himself to start praying um, during lunchtime from 12 to 1 in New York City. And he made out this big kind of announcement and he stuck it out there. And the first week, he just he showed up for about the first half hour and he was joined by four other people by the end of the hour. Um, and just those four guys prayed that God would pour out revival. The next week, it was like 16. The next week, it was like 35. And then it had grown to like 200. And it was just from 12 to 1. And then it happened to that they couldn't hold anymore and other churches were housing them. By the end of just a few months, uh, 16,000 people were praying or something like that. And then and God just poured out salvation and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people started getting saved over the next two years around the city of New York because one man said, I'm going to do it. And so it just as I read the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening and even some different revivals up in Kentucky, etc. All I saw was it all had its beginnings. It all had its um, start with a man or a woman of God saying, God has called me to pray for something. And so um, I want to Uh, pray as we get started. And I want us to all kind of consider that prayer isn't just, you know, the thing you do before you start something else. Like we pray before we eat, we pray before we preach, we pray. It's not that. And and it's an amazing gift that we have to come to the Lord in prayer. Jack's actually going to preach on the doctrine of prayer in two weeks. Um, But I want us to go into a time of prayer here before we get started, just considering (laughs) that God could stir our hearts to do an amazing um, awakening in our, in our hearts that could lead to astounding things in the city of Rock Hill. So let's pray, and then we'll go into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that we can come together and pray. We know that um, people all over the world gather on the Lord's Day, and some gather with ease like we do, and some gather in secret knowing that if they were found out that it could mean their life. And so we don't, and we shouldn't, um, take this, this glorious gift of being able to gather lightly. So thank you for that, God. And we come also to you in prayer knowing that you're a God that loves to hear his children ask for things. And when they're in accordance with your um, plans and your will, that you answer those prayers. And we, we believe with all of our heart from your word that it is in accordance with your will that men would be reconciled to you, that men would be saved, that men would repent of sin and trust you. And so God, as we look at this particular topic today of the Holy Spirit, and we look at John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come mightily and that you would awaken in our hearts a deep love for you and that you would cause us to want to live our lives to give you all the glory. Be with us now. We confess our utter need for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I went to a seminary about three years, no, not three years ago. I went for a seminary for three years. Gosh, it's been a long time, about 12 years ago. Um, and when I was there, I had to take 96 hours of classes. That's 30 something classes, 32 classes while I was there. Um, and so they, they really want to make sure you know your stuff. And so my point is, if I tried to take all the things that I learned about the Holy Spirit in seminary and teach all of that today, there'd be absolutely no way that it could happen. There's just no possible way. So what we try to do as we're teaching these particular doctrines is talk about some of the things that the Bible has to say, address maybe some apologetic kind of questions that you might have. Um, but more than anything, since it's a sermon and not a seminary class, we're, 
we're preaching, Jack and I, we're preaching with one particular object, faith. We want you to trust, believe, put your faith in Jesus so that he would cause you to now go out and live your lives radically different because of what he's done. So that's one of the main things that we're going to do. And today's no different as we're looking at the Holy Spirit. Um, I want you to know some things about the Spirit that's, that's positive. I mean, God has given us truth and he wants us to know truth. He wants us to know him in spirit and in truth. He definitely is pleased when we know things about him. But we don't want to just know things about about God, and it just kind of stopped there. Instead, knowing truths about God is, is and still supposed to kind of engage our hearts in such a way that we want to now live our lives for him. And that's what, that's what the goal is here today. And the Holy Spirit, that's what his goal is. If you, we, we look here through John through 14 through 16, we'll see his goal is to glorify Christ and lead us to a deep knowledge of Christ so that we would love him and give our lives for him. So uh, as, a, as a way to kind of bring it all together, on our, and I do this every week because every week we generally have a statement about what we believe about certain things. And so on our website, if you go to our website, you can see what we have written on the website about what we believe. And so today, you can, we'll put it up on the screen. This is what we believe as a church about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to, as we look through the sermon today, kind of explain what some of these things are. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that he is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. And the list of some of the verses that, we, that can um, highlight some of that, there's plenty more. Um, so what we're going to do today as we look at the Holy Spirit is kind of two parts Um, The second part will predominantly be the main section, and it'll be on the screen. But the first part, um, I'm going to go through decently fast as more of an introductory matter. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is. We want to just talk really briefly about who he is um, and what are some things about him. And then lastly, we'll talk about what he does, and that will be the, the kind of main part of the sermon. But who the Holy Spirit is, as we talked about the Trinity, we talked about the Lord being one and that he's three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the way that you're supposed to talk about him. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and he is God. Um, we believe in one God made up of three primary persons, and they have kind of distinct functions and things that they do. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Some people have misunderstood the Trinity. Sometimes, you know, you have the Father, the whole, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When they say he and he for God the Father and Son, and when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they say it. It needs to do, like, he's not it. It's a he. He's a person. Um, and we don't want to call him it. We want to call him he. Uh, some other things that we can say. From the Bible, we know since he is a person and he has um, qualities and characteristics that make up a person, the Bible says that we can grieve him, we can offend him, we can resist him, we can quench him, meaning we can, in some ways, um, in some senses, stifle some of the workings that he has. We can quench him, we can oppose him, and even blaspheme him. Um, Sometimes that blasphemy one has been misunderstood. Six years ago, there was like this little thing on YouTube where people were saying, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Look at me. And like they thought they were cool. Um, Really, blaspheme the Holy Spirit just means that the work of the Holy Spirit is always to lead you to a knowledge of who Christ is. And when you know who Christ is, then you're confronted with the good news of, of Jesus that he died for us on the cross. And you can either reject that truth and not be saved or you can accept that truth and be saved. So if you reject it, you've blasphemed or rejected the work of the Holy Spirit. And so blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the reason why it's the unforgivable sin is because you've just said, I don't want to be a Christian. 
And that's, that's basically all it is. So you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, um, just meaning that you've rejected his work and you've despised and rejected what he wants to do, which is lead you to forgiveness and salvation. The work of the Holy Spirit is, this is Wayne Grudem, our, our, uh, our systematic guy that we've kind of talked about over the last couple of weeks. But he says, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, um, especially in the church. So we don't want to think that the work of God is somehow divorced from the church, that you've got the church doing some work, but you also outside of the church, God's doing all kinds of stuff. Well, he is in a sense, but the primary way that he likes to do his work in the world is through the church, expressed out in local bodies like, like this one. So God, as Ephesians 3.10 uh, says, that the manifold wisdom of God has, is going to be made known through the church. And so we believe in the church wholeheartedly. We'll preach on the doctrine of the church in October. Um, But the way that the Holy Spirit likes to manifest his active presence is through the church as we gather and through the church as we scatter. The church, church isn't a building. The church is a people, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. And so we are the church as we go out and we're the church as we come together. And lastly, and not surprisingly, something about the Holy Spirit that shouldn't surprise us whatsoever since his name is the Holy Spirit, is he has a pretty big interest in holiness um, in that he has a big interest in us being justified, declared holy, declared righteous by God, that we, as soon as we trust um, Christ, the reason why or the way or the, the thing that happens in our heart that actually causes us to trust Christ is that initial work of the Holy Spirit warning and causing us to now put our faith in Christ so that we're declared holy. And then after you become a Christian, I'm sure you felt this experience. After you become a Christian, it's not like, oh, I'm perfect now. I never do anything wrong. If you're a Christian, you realize like the next few seconds in life, you've automatically sinned again. You're like, oh, what happened? I sinned again. Well, that's the Holy Spirit again, reminding you that he he has a work or a desire for you to be holy and declared righteous. But also after you're declared righteous, there's this process of becoming more like Jesus called sanctification. And that's just you becoming more like Christ, more holy. And the Holy Spirit wants you to recognize that he wants you to make more choices that are in line with Christ. Those choices don't make you... um, have a better relationship with God. It's all, de- it's all determined or um, because of the gospel. But he has a, a definite interest in your conduct of life to make you more holy and more like Christ. So that's who Jesus, or I'm sorry, who the Holy Spirit is. Now, um, we're going to go into the text here. We're going to talk about um, what are some of the things that he does. Now, before we do that, this is one of my main goals that I want you to do is this. Um, you'll be tested on this later. Uh, if anybody ever happens to, and you should, you know, as you're going to go home tomorrow, you're going to go out to lunch, or this week you're going to be walking around your yard or your house or your job or whatever, and probably it's just going to come up that you, uh, with somebody in conversation, a conversation about the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's just normal, natural. It happens to us all the day whenever we're walking around. It happens to me at least five times a day when I'm walking around with people and I'm, uh, I'm being sarcastic. But my point is this. Um, whenever that happens, I want you, I want us all to always remember somebody starts talking about the Holy Spirit and when we start talking, you know, we're interacting, which is just normal. Hey, how about the Holy Spirit? I want you to think to yourself, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Because, I mean, there's texts all over that deal with a lot of things, but some of the main teachings, some of the main thoughts um, about the Holy Spirit are, are contained there in these particular chapters. He certainly, there's things to learn about him all over the Bible. But some of the main teachings about the Holy Spirit are John 14, 15, and 16. Just like when Jack 
back, talk, talked about the doctrine of the word. What, we, what do we believe about the Bible? The main thing that you should be thinking, 2 Timothy 3.16, that, that's one of the main texts about the Bible. One of the main texts about the Holy Spirit is John chapters 14, 15, and 16. Um, there's stuff about him other places, but that's, that's one of the main places. Now, what I don't want us to think, or what I don't want us to forget is this. Since John chapters 14, 15, and 16 are really some of the main texts on the Holy Spirit. Specifically, actually, um, in 14, you can look there at 14, chapter 14, verse 15, in, in the ESV, the one I use. There's a little title that says, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And then he talks a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And if you flip over to 16, starting at verse uh, four, kind of in the middle of four, it says the work of the Holy Spirit. So you can see 14 and 16 have these two like teaching times on the Holy Spirit. What we shouldn't um, let pass us is sandwiched in between all these teachings on the Holy Spirit. Right there in the middle is John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where Christ wants us to make sure we understand that it's absolutely necessary for us to abide in him. If you look at the first eight verses of John chapter 15, over and over and over and over and over and over and over, it says abide, 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 abide. NIV, remain, 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 remain. And so it shouldn't be something that surprises us. You know, when these authors wrote, they didn't just kind of haphazardly put this thing together and, and whatever order I can figure it out. They wrote with a, with a, with a real meaning and purpose. And so as they're teaching about the Holy Spirit in 14 through 16, it's, it's no accident whatsoever, the necessity of us in chapter 15 to abide in Christ, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want these things about the Holy Spirit to really invade our lives, to really teach us, to really lead us into truth and train us in righteousness, etc., we have to understand right there in the middle is this word to us that says, abide in Christ. Stay deeply connected with Jesus, and then you'll see the work of these Holy Spirit um, moving and happening to us. Now, another thing which is pretty interesting, um, a lot of us think that if we could just live 2,000 years ago, like with Jesus, then it would have been easier for us to walk this Christian life. There he is physically. I can see him, and I can walk around with him, and I can, I'm about to, hey, Jesus, this decision about college, um, could you just go ahead and, you know, be the middleman and just help me out because I've been praying for a while. I don't know which one. Or this decision about getting married, it sure would be helpful for physical Jesus to say, you know, which one? I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking that one or this one. Which one should it be? Like, it'd be awesome to have that. But Jesus actually, interestingly enough, tells us that it's actually better for us than for them. It says it in chapter 16, verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. That's interesting, right? It's to your advantage that I go away. He's talking to his disciples. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. So we actually have it better than the disciples. How's that possible? Here's why. They had Jesus walking around with them. But when Jesus went away, whenever he was crucified and then resurrected and then finally ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father, that promise right there that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, now we don't just have God like they had God. They had God walking around with them. We actually have God in us. And there's a difference. We have God, the Holy Spirit, in us, not beside us, in us as believers. That's astounding. That's why it's to our advantage. I mean, it's infinitely better 
to have God in you than just beside you. And so as he's in us, he's actually doing an amazing work. This guy named John Owen, brilliant guy, a couple hundred years ago, he wrote this. When the Lord Jesus Christ was about to leave the world, he promised to send the Holy Spirit to be with his disciples, as we just talked about. He says, though it was a great privilege to have known Christ when he lived here on the earth, yet it was going to be even a much greater one to know him revealed into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the way that they can even know him better is actually have the Holy Spirit, God in them, revealing even deeper things about Jesus into their hearts, not just hearing it into their heads. I mean, unbelievable gift that he would give us the Holy Spirit. So um, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Again, John Owen says, we must understand all that is done in us and all that we're enabled to do that is holy and acceptable to God is by the Holy Spirit working in us. Without him, we can do nothing. Again, just highlighting what I said. <laughs> Don't miss the fact that John 15 tells us that our ne- it's absolutely necessary for us to abide in Christ if we're going to see all these teachings on John chapters 14 and 16 about the Holy Spirit um, happen in our lives. And I mean, honestly, every Christian, I would guess, in this room wants the Holy Spirit to be um, huge and working in their life. I, I don't think it, there's going to be any Christians like, ah, Holy Spirit, take him or leave him, whatever. I'm good. I got stuff going on. Like we all would say, yes, pour out the Spirit into my life, whatever that looks like, and let him lead me and guide me. Because when it comes to decision making, I'm a train wreck. I don't know. Like I make so many bad choices all the time. God in me helping me make those decisions. Yes, please, and more. Like we all would say that, yes. And so I think that it's, absolutely necessary then that we abide in Christ so that those things can happen. So what we're going to do here then, um, I'm going to kind of skip around in John chapters 14 and 16 and show you some of the things that the Holy Spirit does, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's there's a lot in here. I'm not going to cover them all, but we're going to look at some of them. So you can go ahead and look at John chapter 14. Look at verse 26. And we'll look at that first one there in 26. It says, John chapter 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, so we know that those are synonymous terms now, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. Just stick your finger there. I have to turn a page. You might not have to. And go to chapter 16 and look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So let's just take those two verses and kind of put them together. And here's our first work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's going to teach us all things. He's going to guide us into truth. He's going to teach us all things. He's going to guide us into truth. Um, So we have, really, if that's the case, as believers, we have no reason whatsoever, it seems, to not just immerse ourselves into the Word. I don't think there's any reason not to. Because I mean, most times I hear, as I'm talking with people, why don't you get in the Word? Why don't you, when I read it, I just don't understand it. I try, I try, and I just think to myself, well, according to the Scriptures, like John 14, 26 says, 26 says, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father was sent, will teach you all things. And John 16, 13 says, when the Spirit comes, He will guide us into truth. So one of the main things that the Holy Spirit really wants in the life of every believer is to know Christ, to know truth, and be moved by it. So whenever we say, well, I tried, but I just don't understand, that seems to kind of contradict what the Bible says that He's going to do. Now, 
I'm not trying to diminish, like, for those of us that really do, like, labor. Like, you don't understand. Like, I don't really read it, and I don't understand anything. I, I understand that that's possible. I mean, I understand that's possible. But I also know this promise right here of the Holy Spirit. What he wants to do is to lead you into truth. And not just inside the Word, but even outside the Word. In conversations, and different books you read, the main function, one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in the life of us is to help us discern the difference between true things that are in accordance with the Scriptures and false things that get close, but they're not exactly. And unbelievers will say true things. They will. Unbelievers will say true things here and there, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're coming from a world, the Christian worldview. But what the Holy Spirit's work for us then um, will help us, as we read the Bible, grow more and more in a deeper understanding. I think that should, I just, I think it should, if we would commit ourselves to saying, okay, if that's true, if that's true, then I'm going to commit myself then to studying the Word in my, for this lifetime. I'm just going to commit myself to it. I, I'm, I know that if I'm going to do, let's just say our, all of our lifetimes are 70 years and, you know, you make that commitment around 20. Let's just, we're rounding out stuff. So maybe you get 80 years. You get 50 to 60 years of studying the scriptures. I guarantee you, as you progress on during that trajectory, you will start understanding the scriptures more and more. Not just because of repetition, because then the Holy Spirit is also blessing that commitment of lifetime study. And then these, these scriptures are true. He will lead you into truths. He will help you see things that maybe you don't understand at first. And here's the great thing. Those truths are gloriously beautiful. When you see them and you understand them, and hopefully the Lord will grant these things to me as well, they're just so amazing. Wow, I'm just captivated and amazed by these deep things about Jesus that he's revealing to me. They are so engaging my heart and wanting me to just say, yes, Christ, everything for you. I never knew these great things about you. I'm even more enamored by you now that I know you deeper. And that's all a work of the Holy Spirit. That's all a work of the Holy Spirit. He will, and he's promising he, he will lead you into truth. So laziness and study and commitment, it just doesn't seem to correlate with these verses. We should never find ourselves lazy in studying the scriptures. I know that you're going to have hills and valleys. You know, you get busy, you've got tons of kids, or they got a bunch of stuff and all that kind of stuff. It's easy to get busy, especially in today's society. It's really easy to get busy. However, if this is true, we should never allow ourselves to just not be in the word because <laughs> he's promised to lead us into, into truth. He's promised to lead us into truth. All right, the next one, go back over to 14. Chapter 20, uh, yeah, chapter 14, verse 26. And I want you to see the next part of that verse. It says, when the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and look at this next one, and bring to remembrance all that I have said. He'll bring to remembrance all that I have said. So as you're in the word, studying truth, the next promise is, as you're after that, going out into life, interacting with people, interacting with your wife and children, or your husband, um, your coworkers, your crazy uncle and aunt, whatever, whenever you know that people need to hear Christ or people that are believers and you know you need to encourage them, this is a pretty amazing verse. I will bring to remembrance all that I have told you. So the second one is this. He will bring to remembrance what Jesus has said in his word. So I've got, um, I know I say this all the time, but I've got five kids and I can't help but talk about them because they're just in my heart so awesome. Um, you know, it's, they're a lot of work, but anyway, so my second child, Karis, um, she has something quite interesting about her. Every time we go out in public, 
she has to go to the restroom. Um, it's, it's, it's like something inside of her that says, oh, public restroom, I got to go. Now, I have figured out what it is, actually. It's not that she has to go. She has an, un, in my view, unhealthy interest in what public restrooms look like. I don't know why, but the child needs to know what public restrooms look like. Now, she's grown into it now to where she, the same thing doesn't happen. But about four years ago, um, she had this. Um, she would say, I got to go to the bathroom. And if you have multiple children, just trust me, it is a work, it is an act of Congress to take children to the bathroom in public restrooms, especially with a germaphobe wife. Because um, you know, you got to hold them off the toilet, you got to line it all up, and it takes 20 minutes. They got to stand there on the wall, can't touch anything. You know, so there's a, whole, there's a whole ordeal just to go to the bathroom in Chick fil A. So, anyway, so Karis, um, Karis, uh, she's going to kill me. So uh, she came for a service. So anyway, uh, my wife. Um, so Karis would say, I got to go to the bathroom. And like, Karis, do you just want to see the bathroom? Mm-mm, I got to go to the bathroom. Uh, she's seven now, but at the time she was three. And when three-year-olds tell you stuff, it's so cute. And you just, all right, we'll go to the bathroom. But what would happen then, every, I mean, without fail, would get into the bathroom. And as soon as she'd get in there, something would take over in her three-year-old mind that she was in a different place that she'd never seen before. She'd get scared. She, I want to go. I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. But Never without fail. The next time we go to another public restroom, I need to go to the bathroom. No, you don't. You just want to see it. Mm-mm. I just need to go to the bathroom. I got to go. We get in there, scared to death, out, never go. Over and over and over. Now, here's the thing. What she needed was a remembrance that that particular thing right there is not what she actually wants. And that's what this is. The Holy Spirit is going to come and bring to remembrance all the things that Christ has told us. Whenever that thing out there that seems to be the thing we want so desperately, if it's not in accordance with his will, he's going to bring to remembrance and say, oh, remember last time? Mm, you don't want that. Or that thing I want, so he's going to bring to remembrance that did glorify Christ. That is something you want. And you're going to be like, yes, I do want that. This is kind of what the work of the Holy Spirit is, um, is a remembrance that there's a promise that whenever we're about to go into a certain situation, good or bad, the Holy Spirit brings all the words of Christ into our remembrance that, that he wants to. It's not like he brings everything that Jesus has ever said. We'd have brain overload, right? He brings all the things that, he'd need for you, that he needs for you to know. And he serves you by helping you in that situation. And so, just for example, whenever you're having conversations with your crazy aunt or uncle or your neighbor or whoever, your coworker about Jesus— You've probably experienced this one time. You're like, I need to talk to them. I want to talk to them. They've asked me about, you know, hey, do you know anything about Jesus? And I just got scared and I didn't say anything. I was like, that, if there's any a perfect opportunity to say something, that was it. I'm going to do it this time. I'm not, I'm not going to be chicken out. So you're, going to, you're finally going to talk to them about Jesus. And all of a sudden you start talking. Well, you know, the book of Ephesians says, and then you're like, I know the book of Ephesians. Yes, it's because right here you have this thing. He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said. You'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit, I mean, if you've ever experienced this, you said, I said so many verses and so many things from the Bible that I just can't believe I knew. I didn't just bust out, you know, John 3, 16, because that's at the football games. Like, I actually remembered a lot of stuff about Jesus that I didn't know I knew. You know why? Right here. The Holy Spirit brought to remembrance those things, which brings us back to our first one. A commitment of lifetime study in the Word yields great dividends as we're missionally involved with people because he will he has a bank of actual stuff that you've been studying to bring to remembrance as you go out and do work so the second thing is that he will bring remembrance to what jesus has said um 
some other things that I think are just good for those of us that maybe experiences uh, times of the soul where we're just downcast. Some people um, are, are not that way. We don't, you know, necessarily like being around you sometimes. But for those of us that, that feel the downcast of the soul sometimes, we're just, we find ourselves more like a little worried. These precious promises like in Matthew twenty eight twenty, where he says, um, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Verses like Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, those are the words that I need to hear. Those are the remembrances that I need to hear whenever I'm feeling desperate in my situation. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm always with you. I've begun this work and it's not up to you to complete it, Fudd. I'm going to complete it. You could never complete it. You're just a man. But God, he certainly can complete it. Those are the things I need to hear whenever I'm going through, traver- what's the word? Treacherous times, tra- traversing through life, whatever. Like those things are tough and I need to hear the Holy Spirit reminding me of the things that the Lord has promised. Again, back to the first one. Therefore, we all need to be committed to a lifetime of study of the word of God. We need to be committed to it. All right, the next one is in John 16. You can flip over to John 15. I'm sorry, 16. No, what am I? Where am I? 15. 15. I'm all over the place here. We're doing number three, right? Yeah, we're going to do number three. Go to 15. <laughs> go to 15. I'm a mess right now. And go to 26. 26. 15, 26. But when the helper, which we've already identified, means Holy Spirit. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Here it is. He will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. So the third one is this. The Holy Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. He will bear witness about Jesus. So what we mean here, because you you hear that and you're like, okay, what what does that mean exactly? Um, This is what we mean. The Holy Spirit bears witness of Christ because the the Holy Spirit then retains and fixes our faith on Christ alone for salvation so we don't seek it other places. In other words, when he comes and bears witness about Christ, the primary thing that he's wanting to bear witness about is the work of Christ on the cross. Because if we're honest, like we are fickle people. As soon as, as soon as we think to ourselves, salvation's by Christ alone. Got it. Like five minutes later, we're automatically switched over into legalism mode, trying to earn our salvation through good works. Oh, God's going to be mad if I don't. So I got I to do this thing and do that thing. And if God, I want to stay in great graces with God based on this, this, and this. Now listen, I'm not trying to minimize good works. That's absolutely necessary. But the only thing, we have to constantly teach this to ourselves. The only thing that gives us right standing with God It's faith in Christ and what he's done. And when Christ forgives us, you are absolutely never going to end in perfect right standing with God. And so the Holy Spirit comes and bears witness to the gospel, reminds us of the gospel, reminds us of the gospel. You are are completely forgiven in Christ. You are 100% righteous now because of God. He comes, and this is a promise. I mean, our legalistic hearts will shift over to works righteousness in a second. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and say, no, no. It's, you, you should do good works, but your right staying with God is not based on good works. It's based on Christ. It's based on Christ. Now, that's the third one, but we don't need to miss this application. There's a little application to this third one in the next verse, which is, I think, pretty astounding. So as the Holy Spirit comes and bears witness to our hearts, there is then something that should happen. Look at 27. 
And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You also will bear witness. So as the Holy Spirit is continually reminding you of the finished work of Christ for you on your behalf and bearing witness to you, it in turn causes Christians then to go do the same thing. So there should be a pattern in your life, if you're a believer, of bearing witness to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit certainly is going to continually keep bearing witness to Christ in your heart. And as that happens, there should be a pattern in your life. Since he's bearing witness to me, I'm going to bear witness about Jesus to my neighbor, to my whoever. I mean, you can name right now three people that the Lord's laid on your heart, I believe. If you really took the next three minutes to start thinking about it, you could come up with three people right now that God wants you to talk about Jesus with. If we're just honest. And so verse 27, the natural application of this This function of the Holy Spirit of bearing witness in your heart is always supposed to lead us then to bear witness about Christ to other people. It's not a, well, he does it and I can can maybe do it. No, we we must go bear witness to other people. Now, I did see a study, and this is just a side note. I saw a study in Christianity Today last week sometime that said one out of five Christians don't know any unbelievers at all. We've so bubbled ourselves off that one out of five, 20% of Christians, of Christians don't know one unbeliever. Now, I believe that we should keep ourselves from sin, but the way that Christ did, right? Christ still interacted with sinners, but didn't participate in sin so that he could win them over to God. And that's the way that we should do it. We don't participate in sin, but we need to know people that are unbelievers or how else are they gonna come to know Christ? We have the truth. They're not just going to stumble upon it into a tree, right? We have to say it. So um, that's Romans 10. So that's the third one. He will bear witness about Jesus. The next one comes from chapter 16. You can go to chapter 16, look at verse 8. Um, This one is sometimes, we don't like to talk about it. Those other ones, read the Bible. Yeah, I'm for that. And telling people about Christ and he's applying the gospel to my heart. Love it. This one sometimes is like, I don't want to talk about conviction. I don't want to talk about that. Look at it says here in 16.8. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, um, John, as he writes, as he uses this word word world over and over, generally he's talking about unbelievers. So he, he uses the word world. He doesn't necessarily mean everybody in the world. He usually means unbelievers. There's exceptions, but as a whole, So as we're looking at this, we want to be true to the way we think the right way to interpret this verse is. So when he's saying, when he comes, he will convict the world, we're talking about unbelievers, concerning sin and judgment and righteousness. So one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world, unbelievers, concerning sin. Now, that's what the verse says, but we don't need to discount the fact that the Holy Spirit also convicts believers. There's just no question about it. Um, So we're going to take unbelievers first, and then I'm going to talk about an application with believers. But let's take this first one right here. Um, This word helper, as he's been constantly being used, can also be understood as counselor in in the way that we understand counselor like lawyer. You know, we have a lawyer, he's the counselor, and he comes, and his job as the counselor, as prosecutor, is to make his case. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit's doing. 
Um, It's acting as a counselor, making the case against the heart of the unbeliever to help them see you really are a sinner. You really do need Christ. And it says in in the text that he's convicting them or making the case concerning their sin and their righteousness in the judgment, that they're a sinner and that they need Christ for their righteousness or there's a coming judgment. That's basically the the pattern of of the conviction that's happening by the Holy Spirit. And so um, since we know that all men are born as sinners, this is a work that the Holy Spirit does on the hearts of all men. They all will recognize at some point that they're a sinner. Not all will trust Christ. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, he's not a bully. He's not a mean guy. He's not just the one that comes and kind of brings the bad news and says, you're a sinner. You're going to go to get judgment. You're done. Like kicks you down and just leaves you there and says, good luck with that. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he actually, as he brings those things, he's so gracious in that as he does that, there's always, always behind this. So be reconciled to God. So repent away from your sin and trust Christ. Yes, this is the eventuality of your heart and your soul, if you don't trust Christ, is eternal punishment, but you don't have to have that. Instead, you can repent. You can be forgiven forever. You can be washed clean, and you can receive eternal life forever. So the Holy Spirit, as he brings that, he's not some bully that just leaves you there, you know, sad and desperate and lonely. Instead, the good news of the gospel comes with that, but we have to repent. We have to confess our sin. We have to trust Christ. We do make that decision. But the Holy Spirit, as he does it, he will convict us concerning our sin. So if you kind of work backward, if there's no conviction and there's no Holy Spirit, there's no salvation. And we're all just plummeting into nothingness. So we have to have this. We have to have the work of the Holy Spirit leading sinners to conviction so that they can be saved. Now, that was the unbelievers. But let's talk about believers as well. Um, he also convicts believers. It's not like as soon as you get saved, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm perfect now. I'll never sin again. You know, just as like we, like we all know, we still struggle with sin for the rest of our life. And as we struggle with sin for the rest of our life, there should be a growing in holiness. There should be a growing in more Christ-likeness. Um, and that's progressive. It's not like instantaneous. It's, like, it's not like you're like, JV and then varsity within an hour and then varsity like NBA and then you're NBA the rest of the life or NFL or whatever. Like you are progressing just like I am through this and you're going to, ah, and then you're going to get to the sin and then, ah, like, and that's actually good news for my soul to know that sanctification or becoming more like Christ is a progress until I die. But I do know that I'm becoming more and more like Christ every day. I'm not just like down and spiraling into nothingness if I'm truly in Christ. Um, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. There's a guy named Martin Bootser, something like that, B-U-C-E-R, and I don't know how he pronounces it. Uh, Back in 1536, this is what he writes about the conviction on the heart of the believer um, by the Holy Spirit. He says, those who believe are not under the law because they have the Spirit within them, teaching them everything more perfectly than the law ever could. So the law tells us that we have to obey it to be righteous, to be, to be right with God. But the problem, as Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, the law shows you all that, but the law can never save you. It can't save you. You're compl- it's completely incapable of saving. God has to save you. And so he says he teaches us everything about the law, the Holy Spirit, and then motivates us much more powerfully 
than the law ever could to actually obey it. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Motivates our heart to obey the law, not because we have to, but because we get to. In other words, the Holy Spirit, this is awesome, the Holy Spirit moves the heart so that believers wish to live by the things that the law commands, but which the law, which law could not achieve by itself. So the Holy Spirit does this great gift of saying, God wants you to live a certain way. And what I'm going to do is not just give you the list of rules, but I'm actually going to come behind your heart and motivate your heart to want to do the things that the Lord wants. And it's all going to be an act of love and worship by you on your part. But the, the Holy Spirit is actually going to cause it to happen in your life and move you and motivate you to do it. I mean, this is beautiful. Because if he doesn't do that, we'll never be saved. The law doesn't motivate us. It only makes us aware that we're dead. But the Spirit actually saves us and motivates us to follow him. So the fourth work of the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world concerning sin. He also convicts us. And that conviction is a good thing. It actually leads us to becoming more like Christ. Um, which, again, we all want. We all want that. All right, next one is verse 13 in chapter 16. Go to sixteen, thirteen. The first part we've already looked at when it says the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We're going to take this next little section right there. It says, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever he hears, he will speak. So let's put up this fifth one. A work or ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he only speaks what Jesus tells him to. Now, This is not making him less God. He's still completely God. The Holy Spirit is still completely God. But this is important. He searches and knows the mind of God the Father and Son so fully because he is God that everything he whispers, everything he whispers into the hearts and mind of us is from Christ. We can totally trust That everything the Holy Spirit brings to my mind is actually from our Savior whom we adore, the lover of our soul. Anything the Holy Spirit brings, everything he ever says to us is always actually from Christ. He's not teaching some kind of radically new thing. It's not like, well, I've been holding this truth back for a good 2,000 years. Radical new truth. I'm going to teach them this one. Everything that he teaches is always in accordance with the scriptures. There's no new truths. The whole, he's not going rogue as like a maverick and say, new truth. Aha, Jesus, I got a new one. I'm going to throw it out there on him. That's not how it happens. Holy Spirit is always taking what is true and everything he hears from the Son and teaching us that. All the things that he declares to us are in accordance with the scriptures. And we know that when we hear from the Holy Spirit, we are hearing from Christ, our Savior. So that's huge. Like we, we can trust the Holy Spirit completely because everything he says is from Jesus. All right. Um, I'll explain to you why that's important as we get into this next one. Um, here's the next one. Uh, continuing in that same line of thought in chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. All right, let's just read that part. And whatever he hears, he will speak. He will, not, he will declare to you the things that are to come. We, we're skipping that little section about talking about the, the end times. We've talked about that over the entire summer. Um, and here it is, 15. So all the things that he hears, he's going to speak to them. He's going to declare those things to us. And then verse 14 says, He, Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit is going to glorify Jesus. It's not the reverse. 
Jesus is not going to glorify the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to be glorified by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, don't let that confuse your brain and think, well, then the Holy Spirit must be kind of like, you know, not so God. Now, he's just kind of God, but really Jesus is the main. He's still God, but the Holy Spirit is radically Christ-centered. Radically Christ-centered. All right, so here it is. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So as we talked about number five saying all the things that he speaks are what comes from Jesus, the sixth one is he will glorify Jesus. He will always point us to Jesus. So here's why I say that. Um, Especially over Christian history, there have been some uprisings um, and, and some things that have been happening over the last 2,000 years, but really the last 100 years especially, there's been aberrations or distortions or um, things that aren't normal where there's an unhealthy emphasis on the Holy Spirit over Jesus. Now, um, some denominations have experienced this where instead of making it all about Jesus, Jesus is good because he gets us the Holy Spirit and all we want to do is emphasize to the neglect of Jesus and overemphasize the Holy Spirit. Now that is not biblical according to verse 14. Now don't hear me say, so the Holy Spirit's secondary and we shouldn't care about him because I think our denomination, we're Southern Baptists, has actually de-emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit. We're like, we're scared of him. He does crazy things. So let's just not talk about that because things might get crazy. Somebody might raise their hand or they might do what Psalm 150 says. They might start dancing and we certainly don't want dancing because we've got to have order. First Corinthians says order. So like we've kind of run the other way. Like we just want truth. Holy Spirit, you kind of scare us a little bit. So like, but my point is this. The main work of the Holy Spirit, the main goal, I mean, as I said, I already said it once, the Holy Spirit is radically Christ-centered. He wants not glory for himself. It's not like Holy Spirit's like, when's my time to be glorified? All the glory, he deflects to the Son. He's all about Jesus, not diminishing his deity by any means. He's still 100% God, but he is radically Christ-centered. All glory goes to Jesus. And this has just been the eternal plan of the Godhead, of the Trinity, from eternity past to eternity future, that the Son, the visible one that we can see, who's now human and will be forever human, the one that we have seen, the one that actually went to the cross, the second person, the Son is the receiver of the worship of man. He's the one that we glorify. He's the one that we lift up. And when we do that, we're not saying, so Father and Spirit, you're not important. They've just decided that when we worship, we worship Jesus. We glorify Jesus. And so the Spirit wants us to glorify and give glory to Jesus. So when worship comes to him, he's so Christ-centered that he doesn't draw attention to himself. He pushes it to Christ. He wants all the glory to go to Christ. All the things that are necessary go to Christ. He's radically Christ-centered. And so that's important because there have been some de-emphasis, well, I should at least say this. Maybe they're not de-emphasizing Christ, but they're over-emphasizing the Holy Spirit or under-emphasizing the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't do either, but we should remember what he's radically committed to is the glory of Jesus. He, Holy Spirit, will glorify me, that's Jesus. He'll take what is mine, that's Jesus. He'll take what's mine, 
So it all belongs to Christ and declare it to you. So Jesus is the one that it's all about. I mean, just all about. He is the one to receive all the glory. So that's, that's the last ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he pushes us to be radically Christ-centered and give Jesus all the glory. Now, I want to conclude with this thought. Last week, as we opened up, um, we started with Ephesians 3.19. And as we looked at Ephesians 3.19, he showed us that there's a way to know Christ. And the point of knowing Christ is so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we know in Ephesians 3 that there's, um, there's a push, or at least maybe a command, but at least a push for believers to say, I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 5, 18, just two chapters later, says, don't be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what he's saying is, if you were to drink too much wine, you would get drunk. And that drunkenness, what would happen is that that outside substance would so overtake your body that it would cause you to make wrong decisions. It says it leads to debauchery, which is just, you know, the big word for sin. So that outside substance of wine, if you get too much of it, it controls you and leads you to make wrong decisions. And he says, don't do that. Instead, with the same mindset, take that outside substance. Now, he's just using a comparison, Paul is. That outside substance, which is the spirit, and let it fill you so fully like that, that it takes over and it controls you so that you lead a life that glorifies Christ. And he says, don't be filled with wine, but instead instead be filled with the Spirit. So we know that there's a necessary um, purpose for us all to be filled with the Spirit. We know that. There's no question. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the filling isn't like, okay, I ran out of him and now he's got to fill me again. Instead, he's there and he just fills up. One of the best illustrations, I didn't do this in first service. I don't know why I'm doing it now. But one of the best illustrations I heard was this. Uh, My seminary professor, gosh, it stuck with me so good. So, So let's say you have a Coke bottle and all illustrations break down. That's my preface. I know this has somewhat of a breakdown. You can destroy it, I know. But it's still good. All right, let's say you had a, a, Coke, a two liter and it, it was down a little bit and it's about two thirds of the way full. We would say, okay, that's not filled with the spirit. But what, I, I don't want to put more Coke in it. If I just took it and it was, wasn't flat and I shook it, then it would fill up with the Holy Spirit. Like, not the Holy Spirit, but it would fill up with Coke, right? You'd see it all over the whole bottle. And that's kind of the idea. You, you're not going to get more Holy Spirit, but what's there is going to fill you up the more you're in tune with God, the more you're pressing in, the more he shakes you up and makes you more radically Christ-centered, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Lederbach, he gets all the credit. But I thought that was a really good way to think about it. So we know, we absolutely know that we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, okay? So what I want to do here is conclude by looking at the book of Acts. The book of Acts, only three times, only three times in the entire 28 chapters as he unfolds all of the first church history, says filled with the Spirit three times, only three times, in 28 chapters. The first one is in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. They're going to pick the first deacons. Deacon just means servant. Um, And so as they're picking the first deacon, it says that this man Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know um, one demarcation or one thing that should show us that if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit— there should be something about service that's going on with them. That's what it says in Acts 6, 5. The next one was in Acts 7, 
talking about Stephen again. In Acts 7, verse 55, Stephen's preaching, and then all of a sudden, as he's preaching Christ, he gets stoned in the first century, like, throw rocks on him. He got stoned because he was preaching Christ. And we know that, that ha- what happened is he was, he was experiencing persecution. He suffered. So if someone is filled with the Spirit, according to the book of Acts, the first thing that they should be seeing is that they should be servant-hearted. The next thing, these are alliterated, so it makes it really simple. S, servant. The next one, that if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, that they should in some measure, in some way, according to this God's will, have suffering. And we should suffer well. We should serve and we should suffer. There's only one other time in the book of Acts that it uses this filled with the Holy Spirit. And this, is, this third time is Barnabas. It says that in 1124, Barnabas is preaching Christ and he was exhorting Christians. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he did it. And it says, a great many people were added to the Lord. So when people are filled with the Spirit, they're marked by service, they're marked by suffering well, and it's also marked with salvation. A great many people were added to the Lord that day. Remedy, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Like, if you read the book of Acts, it's not just Acts 11. But if you just, this week, read the book of Acts, over and over and over, this is what I see when I read the book of Acts. I think when it comes to service, we do really well. I think that thus far, with the levels of suffering that we've experienced, we've suffered pretty well. Certainly there's room to grow. But salvation, I think that we could get better. Over and over and over and over in the book of Acts. This is all the writer Luke says. There was a gathering together of Christians. They clustered themselves in some kind of manner. Here they were. On the periphery, they were making sure unbelievers were there. There was never a case that just had a cluster totally removed away, and there's all the unbelievers, and we don't want to hang out with them or else we'll become, you know, tainted. Instead, there they were, right there, clustered of Christians. On the periphery, Christians, non-Christians, you know what happens? Over and over. And a great number of them were saved. And many people came to know Christ. And there they were gathered together and Christ poured out and many were added that day. Souls were saved. It just says it over and over. Well, here we are. Gathered together. Do we even have on the periphery of us unbelievers? We're, we're no different than them. We can't say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Same Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit there as today. We should see if we are truly filled with the Spirit and pursuing it, service, suffering well, and salvation. So what's the disconnect then? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But perhaps, perhaps we're not filled with the Spirit. Perhaps we're not abiding in Christ like we should. Don't you want to see many of souls added just over and over? Don't you just want to say, Lord, do a work that only you can do? I mean, I want that so desperately. I think we all do, if we're honest. One of the marks that happens when people are filled with the Spirit is that salvation is poured out. It's in accordance with the Lord's will. But let's Let's plead with the Lord to do this. I think that we know how to pray. I think we know what to pray now as well. God, would you come now and fill us? Would you pour out salvation on this city? Just like that 
prayer revival where one man and it just spread and thousands got saved and New York City was changed for a time. We want that now. Would you just invade this city, fill us with the Spirit so much so that we serve this city well. If suffering comes our way, we certainly suffer well. But God, we see people getting saved. We cluster ourselves as believers, unbelievers all the way around us. We, we have to know them. We have to be around them. And we just tell them the message of the gospel. As Christ's Holy Spirit bears witness to us, we bear witness to them about how to be saved. And God, would you let us see people get saved? We want that so desperately. I think we know what to pray now. Fill us and let us see people meet Jesus. We're going to go into a time of response. And I just, I want to plead with you and maybe even my own soul here. Let's expect these things now. Let's just beg the Lord to fill us with the Spirit and expect them. And not be timid when it comes to talking about Him. Let's, let's tell people about Jesus. Let's get ourselves together and ask the Spirit to do some work in community groups or in gatherings like this or whatever you want to do. Like, gather yourselves together in your communities and just see what the Lord does. Pray beforehand, God, you got to do it. We're going we're gonna to do something. We're, you got to do it. And if it doesn't work, do it again. If it doesn't work, do it again. Never stop. We don't know what he would do. He could change this whole city. Wouldn't that be amazing to see people turning to Christ all over the place? So let's pray and ask that he would do an amazing work in us and through us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've promised your Holy Spirit to us. Promised to bring to remembrance all that you've commanded, convict us. But also, Lord, that if we pursue abiding in Christ, that we'll be filled with all the fullness of Christ. And God, these things could happen. We know that it's all in accordance with your will. But would you bring those things about, Lord? Cause us to be radically, radically Christ-centered so that we can serve. Radically Christ-centered so that we would suffer well should it come our way. And radically Christ-centered and filled with the Spirit that you would pour out salvation in front of us. Our sisters, our brothers, our co-workers, that we are so wanting to meet Jesus would come to know Christ. We can all think of people that our hearts just adore and love and care for that do not know you. Break our hearts for them that we would change the way we live so that they would meet Christ. Be with us now as we worship together and as we go out and worship with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.